we're going to look at Ecclesiastes, which gives us a big picture view. And the illustration that I've used many times before about the sovereignty of God and the antinomy concept that we sometimes struggle with is that how can we have free will and control over our own destiny and decisions and be responsible while God is going around playing the role of God, a creator and a supervisor and a superintendent and a big boss at the same time. Can we have God who is sovereign and we have responsibility for our own decisions at the same time? And now this is a problem that exists in all levels of science, philosophy, and religion is... uh, is uh, determinism. Determinism versus free will is the way this would be discussed in a non-religious context. And the answer is that it is somewhat of a puzzle. But the explanation is that God in his realm can be sovereign while we in our realm can be responsible and even, you might say, sovereign in our territory. In our house, uh, one of us, there's only two of us there now because there's no children living there permanently, One of us is the sovereign ruler of our house because it's our territory, (laughs) you'll understand. And and God in his realm is sovereign. So I'll just throw this illustration out because in the wintertime we see this quite a bit. Clouds we see when we were coming back from the coast here a couple of weeks ago, we saw a beautiful illustration of this. There was a a huge cloud coming from the distance. You could see this huge cloud that was brilliant, bright in the sunshine. And from a distance, you could see the sun hitting the top of the cloud. But you could also see on the bottom how dark and angry it looked, and it was probably raining under that cloud. But from a distance, you could see both of the things. And immediately, it's obvious this is the same cloud. But from one perspective, where the sun is shining, it's brilliant, light, and fluffy, And if you've ever been in an airplane flying over these things, you kind of get the feeling that if you jumped out, you would bounce right off of that big white pillow. Now, you know that that's not going to happen, but uh, it kind of looks that way and feels that way. But from underneath, it can be dark and rainy and really threatening looking and bolts of lightning coming out of it and all kind of things. But yet you know it's the same cloud. So it's a matter of perspective. God is in control while you and me in our lives we still can make our own decisions and have our own responsibilities now i'm going to read the passage that peter already sang parts of in ecclesiastes chapter 3 now you have an insert in your bulletin that points you to page 473 in um in your pew bible if that's what you're using today let me uh, just introduce this with a couple of Comments. Ecclesiastes is clearly written by the wise King Solomon. Now, there might be portions of it um, that uh, he didn't actually write or put together. This might be a poem from his time, but nevertheless, uh, he's the clearly Kohelet. Uh, Kohelet is a Hebrew word for it, and if some of your Bibles even may have that as the title, Kohelet instead of um, Ecclesiastes, and that was because he's the teacher, and that's what that meant. So this is the writings of Solomon. It's wisdom for all time and all places and all people and all religions. This is not specific to the Hebrew uh, experience and revelation from God, and it's not specific to Christians, but it's specific to life. All humans live within the bounds of what is discussed 
in the book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, and that's why it's called the wisdom literature. There is a time for everything, verse 1, a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now you understand what he's saying. He's not advocating any of these things particularly. He's simply telling you that in life you will discover, and it's the better part of wisdom to accept the fact that what is appropriate in one context is inappropriate in another context. And things change and things move on. And you can, if you get stuck in any one of these things, you're going to have a problem. These are real world situations. I heard a message uh, not too long ago by uh, a preacher who was saying, this is outdated, old-fashioned, and wrong. There is never a time for war. I agree. And there is never a time for cancer. And there is never a time for gravity in which people fall down and get hurt. And there is never a time for financial difficulties. There's never a time for hunger. If you're saying we're advocating this, you're not reading either intelligently or honestly. He's simply suggesting that in the real world there will always be war. And the Christian who cares about God's wisdom in regard to cancer, war, hunger, disagreements, love, compassion, animosity, and all of the things that occur in life, the Christian, the follower of God who's looking for wisdom, will be thinking in terms of how do we deal with these things, not just, I see no evil, hear no evil, say no evil, I've got my head in the sand. This is something that will happen and does happen, so how you deal with it, how you approach it, and how you accept it or relate to it says a lot about how you relate to God. Now, verse 9, let's pick up the conclusion, the prose conclusion to the poetry. In verse 9, what does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that men will revere him. So whatever it is has already been. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. And then I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity and a time for every deed. Now this is the concluding of that subject particular subject of time and that God will bring to an end 
the problems that we see with the progression of time and the things that occur in daily life. God will bring judgment. That ought to give us confidence and courage. God is in charge and he will be the final judge. And in the right time, this will happen. It ought to strike a little fear in our hearts as well. That uh, you're going to answer to God one way or another. And this is why the gospel of Jesus is very important to us because it deals with the question of our standing with God, our relationship with God. But it doesn't take away the responsibility that we have to behave in such a way that you can say God is watching because he is. What kind of God isn't watching? Well, the kind you buy at Walmart or something, I guess, and you put them in your little shelf or you bring them out when you go to church and maybe you put them on a shelf at home or whatever it is. You can have gods like that. It's legal. It's America. But that's, that's a pretty silly little God. What he's talking about here is the, that God, if he's really God, has got to be outside of the creation and outside of time. I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named... Uh, Stephen Hawking, he wrote a book called uh, A Brief History of Time. I read one place that it's the most purchased unread book in America. Uh, might well be. It's not actually that big. I have read it, uh, but I can't say I understood everything about it. But um, Stephen Hawking is an astrophysicist. I like, you like big terms, so that's a nice handle. Um, and he's very famous because he's the guy that's on TV once in a while in a wheelchair. He's got uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, I think it is. Um, and um, he's over 70 now. Amazing how God has gifted him. He might be the oldest uh, Lou Gehrig's uh, uh, survivor ever. And a uh, uh, very interesting guy, too, and a great, uh, great scientist or physicist. Uh, and that, that little book on time is quite interesting. And what he did was really develop the notion... That's relevant to this passage, relates to this passage, is that time really does not exist outside of the physical creation. Now, uh, that's, he, he's the guy behind the Big Bang Theory, or at least popularizing it. But one of the points about the Big Bang Theory that he made, and I think many people would agree with, I personally don't have any problem with the Big Bang Theory because I think it fits the book of Genesis quite well, Genesis chapter 1, the notion that before... God brought this all into existence. God was already there. Time is relevant to physical existence. And we live in this world bound by time, but God does not. Now, what does that tell you about how you ought to relate to God? He is not bound by time the way you are. He's outside of time. To him, past, present, and future are all contemporary. He is able to distinguish. He's able to interject himself into time... We just celebrated that. Month of December is focused on when God in the form of Jesus became fully human and lived within time and space while God in a different way is outside of time. He's bigger than, not less than, greater than or equal to, but never less than or other than. God is outside of time and outside of the creation, but in Jesus, he became human became part of it. And that's so that we can relate to him in a way that we can manage. That's the two sides of the cloud, or the antinomy, if you will.
violation of known laws of physics are, have been breached by God through a miracle called the Incarnation. And we get to know this great God of the universe in a way that's personal and real. Now there's a time for everything and a couple practical things that I think are worth pointing out about that every time I deal with this. One is that uh, it's worth remembering that this too shall pass. Maybe you've heard that expression. Um, this too shall pass. It sounds really biblical. It isn't really biblical, but it, it's, it sounds biblical, but it's a true principle. This too shall pass. If you're going through a very difficult time right now, know that that circumstance will pass. Whatever God has for you in that circumstance, don't waste it because it's going to pass. Whatever age you are, whatever stage of your life you are, know that this is going to pass for better or for worse. Parents sometimes get um, emotionally drained by the stage of life that their children are in. Let's say you've got a teenager. I saw that back there. <laughs> and you may think, and the teenager may think, and this is one of the things that I believe is very important with young people, is uh, you feel depressed, you feel suicide, this too shall pass. Maybe we don't have any magical answers. And a lot of times, things like depression and suicidal tendencies are not subject to clear answers. Even when the young person might be a believer, may have their relationship with God all squared away. The problem is, they're too young to know that this too shall pass. And this is where we come in. This is where responsible parents come in. This is where responsible adults in society. We do not buy into the notion that, well, if you feel suicidal, it's your right to just commit suicide. No, it isn't. That's murder. We don't fall for that. We know that there are lots of reasons why people do that. But we want you to stay around long enough till you understand life and put it in perspective. And with parents, sometimes they get a little depressed about the stage of their life. I've heard uh, pregnant mothers talk about how it feels like an eternity. Carrying this load around? Huh. Well, we have a motto at our house. It never gets easier. It just gets different. Every stage of your children's life has its own unique joys and burdens. It doesn't change. Because you care about somebody. You love them. And their circumstances are real for them. And because you're a parent. Because you love them. And this should be true of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we care. We have empathy. For where people are in life. And, but we can know. That their circumstances will change. There are solutions. And conveying that hope is understanding this business of time. Plug into the one who is outside of time. He's anchored in something. He is, he is outside of it, so be anchored in something that's outside of your, your temporal perspective. And this is true of all of us in all stages of life. Things change. Things change and you may be troubled now. Despair. Or you may be happy now, rejoicing. But remember, that changes too. Just be sure that you're hooked into something that's not spinning 
Now I want to uh, talk a little bit about mindfulness by first uh, going through some three other Bible verses here that, and then some takeaway points. Now I use the word mindfulness if you have any connection with Buddhism or Hinduism, you probably know that mindfulness is a central feature of Buddhist lifestyle and discipline, just like yoga is a central feature to both Hinduism and Buddhism. But both of them are centered, are disciplines, bodily disciplines centered on mindfulness. Being aware of yourself, your feelings, your breathing, all of the things that are going around about you. I think that that's difficult to do in our society today. There's actually a whole new set of syndromes that have to do, uh, we might just call them cell phone syndromes. Um, or uh, actually a more formal name is social media anxiety disorder. Uh, there's a whole disorder out there for people, especially young people who are so hooked into their social media, they can't get through 10 minutes without checking about what somebody's saying or what's going on or something like that. It's an addiction. It's a very clear addiction. Two weeks ago, there was an ep uh, episode, but not, not what you call it, a segment of 60 minutes um, on mindfulness. Uh, the guy interviewed uh, some kind of, mm, we would, a, years ago, a few years ago, we would have called him a new age guru, but it's definitely catching on. Google, the massive company Google, high-tech company Google, has a priest on staff. They don't call him a priest, but he's a mindfulness expert being interviewed there. And I thought it was kind of interesting. Oh, Jolly Goodfellow. That's his name. Jolly Goodfellow. And uh, Google knows that their people are way more productive when they learn how to relax, how to be in the moment, how to be mindful about what's going on around them. And so they've actually hired what we would probably call a priest or a clergyman or a chaplain, but it's a guy named Jolly Goodfellow. And he teaches them mindfulness. Uh, and you may not know this, some of you probably do if you're in the schools, that uh, mindfulness training is becoming a part of a public school curriculum these days. story in the Oregonian just... Uh, uh, a couple weeks back about uh, how this whole uh, Wilson High School, they've introduced this, not just as an after-school project, but as a curriculum, part of the curriculum. Mindfulness. And they sit on their yoga mats, and they're trained how to meditate, which I think is actually a good thing in one respect. It is a little puzzling that so much energy has been put into getting prayer and talk about God out of the schools and to replace it with something that is clearly central to Buddhism and Hinduism. But if you isolate the religious perspective, there's actually quite a bit of benefit in people slowing down, thinking about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing now. Christian tradition, it's meditation. Meditation on God's Word. We, we've often, we've been conditioned to think of meditation as primarily Eastern spirituality, but in Christian history, meditating has been a big part. We, you might call it daily devotions or something like that. But it's where you set aside time, private. Some people even have prayer closets. The difference being is that you're not concentrating on yourself alone. You're concentrating on God, which in turn gives you the benefit of slowing down and thinking about other things. Now, that's a Christian form of meditation and prayer. I recommend that 
I think that has the same benefits, really. If you want to concentrate on your breathings or breathings and internal workings, go for it. But I recommend that maybe a better solution is plug into the God who is outside of your spinning world. And you can do that. We can do that and it kind of slows us down and makes us think about where we're at. But the important point about mindfulness, if you take the spirituality part about, out of it, is that I do believe that a lot of Americans are so busy running around like headless chickens that they have no idea what they're doing. Their concentration is always on, even in church circles, you probably noticed this, that if you're not careful, church programming becomes overwhelming. Add more, add more, add more. These are good things. Yeah, they're good things, but do we really need a new program? Do we really need a new government program? Do we really need a new church program? Do we really need this, that, and the other thing that keeps everybody just spinning without actually being aware of God or the people in their lives? It's kind of a tragedy. It's kind of a joke in some ways. And people spend so much time racing to and from church that they don't even notice the people around them. That's kind of too bad, because that's what we're here for, to notice the people around us. Should never come to that. Different timetables. This is a verse from Second uh, Peter. We're going to go backwards in the chronology of the biblical text. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is a New Testament version dealing with the coming judgment topic from the Apostle Peter. You know, God's timetable is, it is for us to, in life, you know, Christmas is a good illustration of that, to children... The timing of Christmas is way different than it is for their parents. And when you're a grandparent, it's even more different. The time scale with children is kind of like, are we there yet? The trip, in the car, on a vacation, are we there yet? Well, this is what kids say, because the time frame is different. Well, it's different for a logical reason. An hour in a child's life is a bigger percentage of what they've lived so far than an hour is in my life. In my life, an hour is the equivalent of a, well, a very small fraction. And in some of you people, that's almost an invisible fraction. But in a baby's life or a child's life, an hour, a day, a year, these are huge chunks of time from their perspective. I had a conversation with somebody one time, a young person, about going to college. The person said something like, you realize I'll be 22 years old by the time I get out of college if I do that? And I said, well... How old will you be four years from now if you don't go to college? If you haven't figured that one out, you need college. Fact is, time moves on and perspective changes. God's eyes, he's not in that big of a hurry. So maybe we shouldn't be in that big of a hurry either. Maybe we ought to just accomplish what God's got for us to do. And the second one, God knows. And this is from Jesus, Matthew 6. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble. This is in the context, by the way, the follow-up, the conclusion of several paragraphs. Jesus talking about fretting and stewing about money. 
what you what you're gonna what am I gonna wear? Well, God, what am I gonna how much am I gonna have for retirement? How much do your job and let God take what's the church gonna live off? We can worry a lot about things that God really promises to provide if we will keep our nose to the grindstone and do the important things and God is the provider. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Famous quote from a missionary named Hudson Taylor. And that's true of all of our lives as well. You worry yourself about living for Jesus in the present tense. God will take care of the things that are not part of you. And then the last verse, intentional stillness and change. Yet the news about him spread all the more, speaking of Jesus, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Man, I bet you he got a lot of criticism for that. Don't you know how much work preachers and missionaries and Jesus guys got to do? Here you are wasting time in meditation and prayer. Think of all the great stuff you could get done. Stuff. Stuff. You can get done. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? I think a lot of it is just stuff. Spinning around like a squirrel in a cage. No matter how religious it is, because... We don't take much time to actually learn the voice of God, the values of God. One of the things about the Christmas season that I think is valuable is a lot of families get reconnected at Christmas time because they have time to spend with each other. It gets a little boring sometimes, doesn't it? Ben Franklin's motto, fish and company have this in common. They both stink after three days. There is something, though, about having enough time with no pressure from the outside, including cell phones or whatever, and jobs, to actually get reacquainted. And sometimes those are good times. Important to have these in our lives uh, with God. Daily devotional time is certainly an example of that. Do you spend a little time every day, maybe? However long it works. Just alone with God, thinking, reading, praying, meditating. That's a good way to get anchored. Uh, highly recommend it because Jesus did it. It's the Jesus. So let's talk about some takeaways for life. Number one, the past is history and the future is beyond our control. Only the present is God's gift for us to work. To everything there is a season. Be in the moment. These are the things we've been talking about, so this is just a reminder. Oh, you can put a lot of energy into wishing you had done things or said things differently in the past. Maybe a kind of a personality thing, but um, I know I spend a lot of time and energy, and I have to remember this. Now, wait a minute. What's the point? You're not going to change anything that went by. You're not God. God can change the impact of what you did, but you can't because you're done with that moment, that day. You can't change it. Now you have to move forward, maybe with what you learned, but nevertheless, you can't control the future really that much either. You can prepare for it, but you can't control it. Number two, change is inevitable, so make change your friend and rejoice in the new adventure. Recently, there was a study done on people who've lived to be over 100. Now, I know there are people who've lived to be over 100, but uh, I don't know that I know any uh, at the moment, but... um, and they did some research, published a book on it. And one of the things, one of the five most important things is they learned how to change along with their life circumstances. It's, it's a killer to people when they 
won't allow change in their families, their circumstances, their church. It kills the church, it kills their homes, it kills their relationships. No, this is the way I want it, because this is my vision of it. Well, 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 your vision. I guess nobody else counts. God doesn't count. Your vision. Number three, don't be a slave to your personality. Let God mold and use it. And again, I just point out that people are different on these subjects. Some people like to think and plan, and they're quite, shall we say, active. But the problem is a workaholic is not, by, by definition, more godly than anybody else. Workaholism is a spiritual and emotional disease in business, politics, and in the Christian world. Uh, but the other extreme is also related to personality. And uh, let God mold and use your personality when it comes to these issues of structure in your life. Number four... Balance is God's definition of spiritual maturity. Burning out versus rusting out is a fake dichotomy. Maybe you've heard this expression, it's better to burn out for God than to rust out for God. Satan invented that line. Because if you're burning out, you're not serving God. You're serving your own addictions, your own self-concept of how important you are. time to every purpose under heaven a time to be born a time to die a time to plant a time to reap a time to kill a time to heal a time to
you're just serving yourself. 